Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to The Mentor, I'm Mike Boris. Like everything else, technology is revolutionizing sports training and increasing athletic potential to levels that have never been possible. Jamie Fuller and his team at EO want to be on the forefront of sports innovation. As the co-founder and chairman of the sports technology business, Jamie has been in the thick of athletic performance for decades. Remember skins, compression tights? I sure do. You wouldn't find an athlete without a pair of these things. Jamie was the CEO of the International Compression Apparel from 1998 to 2019, until it went bankrupt, of course. And he's brutally honest about why that happened during our chat. Make sure you've got a pen and paper for this one because you're going to make plenty of notes. We discuss how EO is utilizing sports scientists and engineers to help elite athletes redefine their limits, the range of products they're designing, including sensor technology. And I asked, by the way, what's happened to the Skins brand. So let's get into it. Jamie Fuller, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks for your You look, uh, if you don't mind me saying, uh, old enough to uh, be around my vintage, which is cool. Yeah, it's a little bit bizarre. Um, we're based in a startup, in a startup centre, a hub in Sydney. Which one? Which one do you mind saying? Fishburners. Fishburners, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Guys, yeah. And there's sort of eight in our pod. The youngest, my, my son's with us, he's 26. Uh, other than that, the next youngest is 47, up to 63. And so we're surrounded by all these kids and we look around and go, fuck, what, what the hell are we doing here? You know, there's children. Well, here. you're doing good shit. Um, and and uh, we'll talk about EO in a second. I'm actually very, very curious about um, your background. You were at Skins at one stage. Yeah. Honestly, I want to know whatever the fuck happened to Skins because I used to really, I liked in those days, I liked their compression gear. Like way, way back, I'm talking about 15 years ago maybe. Yeah. Would that be about right? yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought their compression gear was the best that I'd ever worn, and I never ever got good compression gear again, as good as that. And sometimes I, I, I thought I found it in the US more recently, but I don't know if it still exists or it doesn't exist. What's what's the deal? So um, I bought the business at the end of two thousand and two, before it was skins, when it was a compression, just a compression garment business. Yep. And two thousand two, you say? End of two thousand and two. You're right. So we're going back twenty years. We're going back twenty years. Yeah. And I'd never been in sport. I'd never been in textiles. I'd never been in consumer brands. So it was a, a lot, sort of a, a massive learning experience. What the hell? For me. Why'd you buy? Yeah. I was in printing, and I fucking detested it. Was, like like, menu, uh, uh, like brochures magazines, and shit brochures, like 
you know, and I wasn't in manufacturing. I was in the, the broking side. I was in the sales side. And financially doing incredibly well, like really well. Yeah, because you guys got a share of common stuff. Like if you wouldn't convince me to do a print run on something or other, um, you, you got commissions. Is that how it worked? Or why were you doing so well? Or did you own the business? No, I owned the business. Right. And I was, because my family had been in the manufacturing of printing for years, I was sort of well ingrained in it. So I was able to, I was able to sniff out a buck and I did really well, but I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Why? I found it just a really boring, no sense of purpose. Don't get me wrong. Loved the money, liked to walk onto a plane and turn left, all that shit. But in terms of self-fulfillment, absolute zero. Totally zero. And by the way, it doesn't even exist today. No, I know. And it's fascinating to watch. I mean, like the Hannon family, this massive yep. print I know Michael Well. You know Michael Well? Yeah, yeah. Their their business today has got a market cap. Well, not that long ago it had a market cap of six million dollars. And this was a billion dollar business mm. in a multi billion dollar industry. Totally, totally fucked. Anyway, I I had an opportunity with the skins thing, saw it, saw the potential and thought this could be fun. I'm going for the ride. Did you follow some footballers or did you see some people running around with it being no, sponsored it a, by skins? How, how did you know about it? No, it was a, actually a, a mate of mine was a friend of Graham Arnold, the Socceroos manager, yep. when he was um, uh, assistant to Frank Farina. Doing brilliantly at the moment. Superb. I'm so happy for and, him. And awesome guy. Arnie's a beautiful guy. Anyway, uh, I got dragged onto this meeting and my office was in Strathfield and this meeting was in Belrose and I didn't want to go. Why'd you get dragged into a meeting? Oh, fuck. This guy, he, he, this mate of mine said to me, come on, Jamie, because I tell you what, he wanted me to buy it and fund it and he wanted to go and run a U.S. operation for right. it. Right. And so he, he was incentivized to get me there. And I wish somebody had had a camera on this because I sat there with my arms folded. The body language, I know I can see it. The body language was very clear. I don't want to be here, but being dragged all the way across the fucking city to talk to somebody that I don't really want to see. And I sat down and the original founder was a guy called Brad Duffy. He was the guy who had the idea of how do we take a technology from the medical channel, i.e. gradient compression, and apply it to not just to healthy people, but uber healthy and uber fit people in elite sport. For performance reasons. For performance. Yep. And so I sat down with Brad and he started talking and he put in front of me a bunch of papers about an inch thick of testimonials. And as he talked, I started flicking through these things. And they had launched in April that year. and they In were, Australia. In Australia. And they were broke by December. And he started telling me the story. And I was there, like I said, because my buddy wanted me to buy the US distribution right so he could go and run it. And I, and I started looking at these testimonials. And the testimonials weren't from athletes. They were from doctors, strength and conditioners, physiotherapists, people with real credibility. And I literally sat there for two hours. And I got three numbers. I only wanted three numbers, which was your retail price, your wholesale price, and your cost of goods. I'll tell you the numbers. The cost of goods at that stage, because they were making them in Australia, were $31.50 for one product per long tights. He'd done a keystone markup, so it was wholesale at 63. Done a keystone, it was 126. I remember it. Plus GST. Yep. 139 bucks. That was his that was his price. That was my due diligence because I had this two-hour meeting. 
I walked out, I got in my car and I rang Brad sitting in his car park and I said, Brad, let's cut the shit. You're evidently fucked. How much do you need and when do you need it? People are going to buy, and especially them, not going to pay 140 bucks. No, but, but for well, what? I did, but I mean. Like, but, for, but for what? For a brand I've never heard of. Yeah, yeah. I can get a Nike or Adidas or Puma for 60 but I said to him, what do you need? He told me what he needed, and he needed it in six days. And I said, if you don't have it in six days, what happens? He says, bankruptcy. So I said, all right, I'll do it. I'll meet you in the lawyer's office in three days. I'll cut you a check. I'll give you the money you need. I don't want to control the business. I want 49%. I expect for the money that I put in to get 49% equity. And um, he had a bunch of angel investors. And I said, this is what we'll do. I said, you take 41 and you pick one of your angels to take 10%. So between the two of you control it. I'm not coming in here to say I can control this and I want to, and I want to dictate, but I want 49%. And I think I can make a contribution. And, that's, and that happened three days later in the lawyers, signed a document, handed over a check for many hundreds of thousands of dollars, and away we went. 2002. So yeah. I, I was on the board, I am on the board of the Roosters, and um, a lot of our players and the State of Origin players when I, who I was sponsoring at the time used to train in the gear. And I remember talking to Brad Fittler, and he said to me that, um, because I said, well, why do, you, why do you wear this compression stuff? And he said to me, um, he'd been told by the club doctor and by our, um, our sports performance guy at the Roosters, um, to wear it, and in fact, he used to train in it, and he would wear it post training until the evening, and sometimes you'd even sleep in it. Yep. As I understand it, the science was it helped you stop getting soreness in your muscles. It enhances your circulation. Yep. And if you deliver more blood to your muscles, you're delivering more oxygen. Therefore, all the little micro tears you get in your muscles they repair quicker. So it's it's proven fact, and that's why it's it was it was created. We didn't invent it. It was created for the medical channel. Like, 50 years or 70 years earlier. But Brad was this genius who said, there's a technology that's never been applied to sport. I think I can take that. And because it's a gradient, which means you're applying more pressure in different parts of the body to others. And for medical cases, it's more extreme pressure. So his theory was I can reduce the extremity of the pressure, but still apply a gradient because, like, if you're going for a um, heart bypass surgery, yep. they generally speaking put these compression things on you. Yep. Um, and and they, no one had thought, gee, how do we apply that thinking and that technology to elite sport? Did you have, like, a scientific team around you who was sort of trying to upgrade, let's call it the optimization of your compression as a technological no. outcome? No. And it's funny, um, and I'll fast forward 20 years, uh, it's funny now to see that they're still trading on the same technology from 20 years ago. You want to know what yeah, happened? Yeah, do, yeah. 2007, I mean, it, it exploded. We did, a, we did a, a cracking marketing campaign because we were focused initially on selling to elite. In fact, one of the first things I did after I, after I bought in was uh, Arnie Graham and I went down to Melbourne for three days and we visited every AFL team. I think there were 11 of them. Arnie was consulting to Skins right. and it's, one of these serendipitous issues, which was really quite remarkable, that being with the Socceroos, what he'd done is he'd taken the product, given it to the Socceroos, and I'm talking about Harry Cool, Mark Viduka, yeah. John Aloisi. I'm talking about the – and all these guys would come into camp. The physio or the S&C would say, you've got to wear these things, so they would. Very quickly they'd realise and appreciate, hey, my legs feel better wearing these things. 
they'd all then fuck off back to their clubs. Yeah, like primarily in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, totally. So Harry would go back to Leeds, and in, in the dressing room after after training, be pulling on his tights, and there'd be all these other players saying, "What the fuck are you doing?" Yeah, great global marketing. It just went like a combination influence of influencer marketing without having an influence without having an influence. One of one of these bizarre things. And the other beautiful thing was we were selling them this stuff. We weren't giving it to them. And when I say selling them, we were selling them at retail price with a 10% discount for bulk order. Yeah. So it wasn't. So you sell to the club. Yeah, sell to yeah. the club. Yeah. Um, and as you said, Brad Fittler told you that my S&C, my sports scientist, my high performance guy said, that was our conversation. So when Ernie and I went around all these AFL clubs, we weren't meeting so much with the players. We were meeting with the doc, with the physio and with the, with the S&C. And the pitch was, this is the tech, this is what it does. Give us um, his two pairs to try. Tell us who's got the worst legs in your club. And in every single case, within 72 hours, we had an order for 100-plus units at full retail with a 10% discount. Because I remember they had, they had quite a big um, signature down the side, um, big skins note right down the side. Eventually, yeah. Eventually. So skins was um, – Born in Australia, effectively, yeah. Did it become a global brand. Yeah. So when I when I when I came in, it was three brands, and so I consolidated them all and called it Skins. And then uh, we did a marketing campaign in two thousand and five. Did a TV campaign, and I, basically, I, I I put a million bucks on the table when we were turning over less than a million bucks, uh, which was quite ballsy at the time. You know, sports brands didn't really do that, and then it then exploded. 2007 did a deal with private equity that was a total and utter fucking disaster. Uh, so you brought in partners. Brought in partners, took the Luca, the filthy Luca, and um, did the worst deal that I could have possibly done. Only one person to blame, that's me. And it was December 07, so it was immediately prior to GFC. Uh, I had to buy them out in 2012, otherwise they were going to take over the whole thing. The only way I could do that was borrowing a stonking great amount of money out of Tokyo, which I did, which then involved doing a few things and it totally changed the whole structure of the business. And the the goal of the business then was cash, 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 got to pay down debt, stupid decisions, short-term decisions, and it was this spiral, yeah, it's a, it's a slow loop. train crash. It's a loop and you end up taking it out of advertising because it's one of your most expensive spends and if you don't advertise it, you don't have enough you don't have enough awareness built, and I'll give you an, I'll give you a perfect example of how dumb we had a subsidiary here in Australia that was our primary business. I had to shut down the subsidiary here and hand over to a distributor so I could free up the working capital from inventory and debtors. Right, so I took a margin here. I took control of my brand. I mean, it was all the wrong moves just for a short term cash hit so I could pay down debt. So 2019, early 19, I'd, I'd set up in 08, I'd set up the global operations out of Switzerland. I'd moved to Switzerland. And in 2019, I put the global ops into bankruptcy in Switzerland. But it's still in America, isn't it? No, it, no. Well, what happened is after that, then the bankruptcy trustee came in and then he sold the brand to right. a Chinese company. Ah. And a Chinese company have tried to, I'd say, resurrect it, but it's a shadow of its former self and- you know, we I like to think we had a we had an interesting brand approach and it had art and it had DNA and it had culture and they're basically just trying to milk it for the brand equity that it's got. So it's some interesting during COVID, 
when we all had plenty of time to spend on the internet and buy things, um, I actually tracked it down because I, because th- I was training quite hard and I thought, oh, I don't like, I'll be honest, I don't like all the other brands. There's lots of these brands around now and I won't mention them, but they don't, to me, they're not as, a, they're, the material's not as good, the compression doesn't work as well. It just didn't work for me probably. So I, I thought, oh, look, I'm fine out with the, uh, the skin. I saw, I thought I saw it was American based. I'm not sure, but could be Chinese. But, and to be honest, I ordered a couple of pairs and never fucking arrived. <laughs> um, and um, I'm still today wondering where is where are they? Did um, you get your money back? I never got my money back. Nothing. And uh, it was all too difficult to get back into the site. And I just I probably just got rorted. What was superior about skins relative to all the current brands? Because I don't think the current brands cut it. Well, we we created the category. I mean, we didn't just create a product. We created a whole category. Um, we were never focused on reducing our cost of goods. It was all, apart from when we moved from Australian manufacturer to Chinese manufacturer and the cost dropped dramatically. Uh, apart from that, we never we never designed product to a price point. It's funny because people in the industry always said to me, Jamie, before you start going into a new new product, a new design, you work your price points out and you develop to that. No, I'd always say no. I mean, this was a premium brand with premium price points. I mean, people paid 140 bucks yeah. for these things instead of 60 for the opposition. So it was. We were never scared about selling it at higher prices. Um, so that was that was the philosophy. And so whether it was the quality of fabrics or the method of manufacture or the research and the science that went in behind it, we always aimed for the very best. Because it was all the panelling. I thought. I thought. I, don't, I know nothing about the engineering of it, but I thought the panelling was more superior to whatever everybody oh, else yeah. was making. And there was a lot of thought went behind the panel. That seemed to me to be the case. There's a, and there's. A, I mean, people think it's just a pair of tights. I'll tell you something. No, funny. no, no, no. Benji Marshall. Yep. Because at one point we were hit after the, 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 the success. Suddenly every, every mother and their dog came in and decided, oh, I can do this. And some clown convinced, I don't know who it was, convinced Benji Marshall that he should be the face of their product and they called it Benji. And so they went and made some tights and they went to Balmain, put them on the players, and I know that the guys were running around and with the compression, you can appreciate, you can, the compression can work in different ways. Well, they cut the panels to get the best yield out of the fabric, which meant the compression was running up and down the leg. And each of these poor guys were running around. They'd take three steps, stop, pull their pants up, run another three steps because the compression, instead of working inwards on the muscle, was working up and down and pulling the tights down, (laughs) right? So it's just, there's a science behind it and you've got to know, you know, the panel shape and all the technical features behind it are are all done for a reason. So, Jamie... Have you always had an interest in science dash technology vis-a-vis athletes or, or just general performance, even if someone doesn't think of themselves as an athlete but does athletic endeavours? Have you always been interested in that territory? No, no, no. I've always had an inquiring mind um, and certainly since the, the skins journey, I've be, have become fascinated in the concept of elite performance enhancement and particularly seeing the commercial opportunities that derive from there. I mean, let's face it, athletes aren't going to be paid less in 10 years' time than they are today. More money's coming into it. And there's also uh, an underpinning of a duty of care for the athletes, and nowhere is that more important than today with athlete well-being and not just during their playing career but afterwards. I mean, we know the terrible stories as the consequences of concussion, but there are all sorts of other – I mean – Anybody that's got to be needled to be able to get out onto a paddock has got a problem. Arnie told me a little while ago 
he said to me, I can't run anymore. He said, I've, you know, had so many needles in my ankles that it's, you know, it's fucked me up and it's, it's really created problems for me in my later life. And there must be a way of, of, of addressing that to enable athletes to continue to perform without doing long-term damage. You made a really important point that like in 10 years time, they're probably getting paid more in 10 years than they are today. What, what is the, the world's fascination with sports people? Okay. I reckon the three most influential factors on shaping people, family, obviously, culture, particularly music and film, and sport. And I think that we derive so much joy and pleasure and the shittier life becomes, the more we need these outliers. If I can just give you a a little anecdote to describe this. I did a campaign back in 2016 around football club ownership in the United Kingdom, which was primarily around Blackpool Football Club that had been subject to all sorts of abuse by its owners. And I spent some time in Blackpool and at one point I met with a um, a psychologist there and he explained to me, because Blackpool had been promoted into the Premier League, had one year in the Premier League and then the next year was demoted to Championship, the year after League One, the year after League Two. So each year down, down, down. Relegations, yep. Yep. And that was, uh, and each time when you get promoted into the Premier League, you get a big cash bonus. And when you get relegated, you get a cash bonus as well. And the owner had taken that money and pulled it out of the club. And he told me this. He said, in the year that Blackpool were promoted from the championship to the Premier League, incidents of suicides and attempted suicides went down by 26%. In Blackpool. In the community of Blackpool. The year after, when they were relegated, incidents of suicide and attempted suicide went up 33%. Right. There is a, an absolute direct correlation between the performance of a football club in a community like Blackpool and people trying to fucking kill themselves, right? Nothing encapsulates more because it's not about what happens on that green rectangle or the court or the pitch or whatever it is. It's about the impact that that has outside. And when you speak to people that are true sports fanatics and you see it in the state of origin. I mean, and you see it in, you see it in even, even the NRL or the AFL, you look at the crowd and you look at what that means to those people, not to mention the squillions of people watching it on TV. It's immense. And that provides both an opportunity and a challenge, an opportunity primarily around making sure that these sports are being cared for and nurtured and they're, they're, they're treated and administered the right way as opposed to just being raped, which tends to what happened. Like my grandfather supported them. His yeah, father supported them. And I bleed blue, whatever it is. All that shit. That, that, and it's true because, I mean, I was a sponsor of New South Wales for years, State of Origin, and the difference, I could never really put my hand on it. I couldn't put words to it. But the difference between the State of Origin room, dressing room, post-win compared to the state of origin dressing room when there's a loss, oh. the difference in the vibe, as I said, I cannot, I can't, I can't attach words to it. Like it's just, it's like death. It like When they've lost, it's like, it's like death. No one talks. Everybody's got their head down. Everybody feels responsible. Everybody sort of feel, feels guilty. They feel like they let everybody down. But it's just, it's, 
deadly. It's it's completely deadly. Whereas if they win, it's comp- it's not there's nothing there's no there's just a massive gap between the two. And uh, I, I, it used to fascinate me uh, big time. In fact, when we lose, when we used to lose when I was a sponsor, because in those days I was allowed to go to the sheds in and out of the sheds whenever I felt like it. I don't know if you can still do it, but in those days when I sponsored them for 10 years, um, I think to myself, if, if we lose, um, maybe I won't go down there because it's not cool. But in the end I worked out you have to be there on both occasions to be part of it. But it used to make me feel completely um, – I, I felt very – Awkward, and not and like I shouldn't be in the room. Oh, I can understand a bit like if in that situation. What the fuck are you doing here, type of thing? Yeah, and and in that situation, you would also feel like you're invading their space. Totally. And this is a private moment that these players need to it's deal like a death, with. Though it's the not grief. a game. It's not. It's grief. It's they, gr- actually. It is fucking grief. Good, good's a word. Grief's a good word. Yeah, yeah. that is actually grief. Yeah, yeah. They go through that grief that flows back into the community. That I was going to say, Mark, them. it's not just the players; it's the community. No, no. It's, and what they're, they're, they're feeling responsible for what the community feels like. Yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, you know, they're still getting paid, and that's not going to change their life that much. Um, but I know that they feel responsible for the community community they represent in case of New South Wales, State of Origins, New South Wales community, or all those people who follow rugby league. So your fascination, it seems to me, and we're going to move on to EO, is at what point did you say, okay, I've done the skins thing, I'm out of that. Um, I want to build a new business, a startup business, to help elite sports people perform better. So I came I came back uh, from the UK sort of August 2019 and I'd had a, a fascination with a particular device. The most injured joint on an athlete's body is the ankle. Athletes tape their ankles to immobilize it so that you don't have a lateral inversion, a sprain, minimize the lateral rotation of the foot. And um, the problem with that is when you tape the ankle and you lock it, you create referred problems to your knees, hips, and lower back. So again, here's an issue where I'm doing something to prevent something from happening, but I'm creating problems which will hit me later in life. So I figured there must be a way that we can create a device that enables the foot to move where you want it to move and prevent it from moving where you don't want it to move. And I was working on that, and as part of that journey, I got introduced to a guy who was 25 years in sports science at the New South Wales Institute of Sport the last 14 years as principal scientist. And in January 2020, he and I met for a coffee because I wanted to pick his brain. As it happens... You sought him out. I sought him out. It was just, it was just a, a fluke introduction from a mutual friend. Yeah, but you took advantage of it. Absolutely. Well, you know, this guy's yeah, no, operated at that level no, for so long, I thought I'm going to pick his brain. I got it. We sit down for a coffee um, and he just left N-Swiss the week before. N-Swiss being New South Wales Institute of Sport. Thank you. After 25 years, we sit down for a coffee and he said, Jamie, before you say anything, I'm going to tell you three things. Number one, I've had a redundancy, a big redundancy, and I don't need a salary and I don't need a job. Number two, I've signed no non-disclosure or restraint of trade agreement with N-Swiss. And number three, you'd be really interested in some of the shit I got in my head. And this started this two-hour conversation. So you actually really want to see you. Uh, it was it was fascinating because he'd been following a lot of the stuff that I'd been doing around the integrity of sport uh, because uh, big on anti-doping and heavily involved in the Australian Institute of Sport and so on and so on. And very quickly I realised that here's a man that's got three fascinating aspects to him. Number one, 
for 25 years at the pinnacle of sports science, he knows what moves the needle for performance, physiology, physiologically, biologically, whatever, that's what he knows. Number two, he sits on the research review committee for the Australian Institute of Sport and researches his true passion. That's what really drives him. So emerging research, what's the latest that comes out? What do we know? What are we learning? And number three, a strong awareness of emerging technologies. Because what you couldn't do two years ago, because you couldn't shrink it to the point where you can today, well, now we can shrink it. The technology exists. So then how do you combine those three facets? And then you can conceive and imagine devices, products that will help an elite athlete. And when he said, listen to this, and he rattled off a few things, I just went, my eyes went like saucers. And I said to him, I said, his name's Kenneth Graham. And I said, Kenneth, I need to go away for a week. Let's meet this time next week, which we did. And I presented to him an architecture, a structure, a strategy for to take his unbelievable, massive fucking brain at the left-hand edge of the continuum around product conception, development, and innovation with my skills and experience around brand creation, brand building, awareness, sales, global transactions, you name it. And between us, I said to us, I said to him between us, we've got this really interesting thing and we can go from soup to nuts from product conception through to delivering a product to a consumer. And if we do it around the elite, because the elite consumer, the, the, the elite to start with, yep. because that's what we did in Skins, right? In Skins, we had a technology that was meaningful for elite. We then created a brand that had relevance for the prosumer, and we then told a story to the prosumer. It's fairly simple, mm. except in this case, the difference is we're not restricted to compression or one technology. We're basically open to any sort of technology, so microfluidics, nutrition, apparel, miniaturization, you name it, we can do it as long as it leads to a benefit for the elite and as long as it's um, uh, protectable, preferably through patents, not interested in just let's do another GPS tracker and copy, catapult or what have you. Uh, And as long as it's also, um, it can be marketed to the prosumer. And there's a fuck of a lot of prosumers out there. Prosumer being? Prosumer being the, the consumer that is really serious about their sport. And so a swimmer, not I do five laps a day just to keep fit, but I race. But I'm doing tri-marathons and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know what? I'm a competitor. I'm, I'm never going to represent my country, but I compete. And whether I compete against my mates or people I don't know or against myself, I want to be better. I want to progress. And so uh, I then bug it off back to London and um, my agency is over there. My brand agency is there who I have a very deep relationship with. Spent five months working on the brand before we came up with the brand name. So had the, the pleasure and the joy of, 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 of working through that. What do we stand for? What do we mean? All that sort of shit. Which we were able to articulate as accelerating human progress through sport, not in sport, but through sport. And then the word EO is Latin for progress. So that's how we, der- how, how we arrived at the name EO, having done all that work. Came back. Got into, you know, we work with innovators. We've got five products in various stages in the pipeline, two that are already done, three that are still in development, uh, all under one master brand. And it's all about two things. One, 
um, manufacturing, making, making devices that help elite athletes improve their performance. And two, then having an umbrella brand that enables us to connect with consumers. Well, let's go to the break. I want, to, I want to get into those five products. I also want to talk about um, the collection of data yeah. um, because that, that always fascinates me, particularly when, you're, when you can perhaps use some machine learning and AI around predicting outcomes. Yep. So we'll come straight back, talk to our sponsor and uh, get back into it. Okay, I'm back with Jamie Fuller and uh, he's from EO. We've been talking about the journey as to how EO got created. And as I sit here, he's opening up a couple of really cool looking boxes and I think there could be some products in here. You betcha, baby. Got them okay, in front of me. show me what you got here. This is, you said you got five products. Yeah, I got five. Are they in the prototype stage or they are now out ready to, to go? No, so the first, one, uh, the first one is a swim device. So if you know anything about cycling, cyclists use an SRM or a power meter which measures the force generated through the pedal stroke. Right. I don't know anything about the cycling, but I take your word for it. And so what you get, I mean, this has been around now for a little while and there are, uh, it's exploded in the cycling world. So you can refine your pedaling stroke to approve your effectiveness and efficiency of your stroke. The idea is how do I exert less energy, but get better, better productivity? Yeah. If, like energy efficiency. Energy efficiency. Exactly. Yep. So we've taken, we've taken that concept and we've applied it to a swimmer. Right. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So this has never been done before. These are devices that sit on a swimmer's hand, as you can see, like this. Yep. And this device measures a whole bunch of metrics, but probably the most critical one is force magnitude and direction. Of, Of a stroke. Of a stroke. Right. So we can measure not just in one direction, but in six directions. So up, down, left, right, forward, back, how much force you're generating in your stroke. And what that means is you can then look at good force and bad force. Drag is bad force. Drag is holding you back. Yep. Good force is propelling you forward. And you can then refine your stroke so that you get more good force and less bad force. Uh, sensor technology is like that's the new big thing and then uh, the ability to either store the data or to send the data, push the data out. But you, it's, it's, you've got to take data in and push data out, yep. but you've got to have some ability to uh, sort of put it into So a, there's three steps. There's three key steps. The first one is having a device that accurately and consistently 
measures that data. So that's the sensing. There's a pressure sensor on the O. See the middle of the O? Yep. There's a pressure sensor yep. in there. Yep. And there's one on the side. Oh, okay. I didn't see the side piece. Yet. Yep. The side one is for compensation because, you know, when your hand goes down in the water, pressure increases. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Which then can give you a false reading of, of, um, of force generated. Yep. So the one on the side is used in the algorithm to compensate for the actual, so the, so the number we end up with coming through the sensor in the face is the actual force generated by the hand. It makes it more accurate because the one on the side mediates any other forces that exactly. might be being it applied. Exactly, compensates. And inside the device is an IMU, an inertial um, motion unit, measurement unit. I, I presume you've got a microprocessor in there. Inside, yeah, yep, because the you have IMU. to have a microprocessor being a mini computer. Um, there is... There's no electromagnetic magnetic field being created around here which interferes with the end of the data or are you doing something uh, to uh, get around that? So I'm not an electrical engineer. Because I know a bit about this stuff. Good. You know more than I do. I know a lot about this stuff. But, uh, okay. But anyway, you've got a microprocessor in there which is not being interfered with, with by any electromagnetic, electromagnetic fields because electromagnetic fields, that's why solenoids are still used because they're dumb. They, they don't have any data inside. But as soon as you start to introduce data and you've got an electromagnetic field, it, it'll, it'll fuck the data up. It'll fuck the microprocessor. But anyway, you've got around that somehow. But most importantly, so the data is it's not being pushed out. So I guess you've got to connect this up to something, have you? So, um, yeah, Bluetooth. It transmitted by Bluetooth. So it says real time? No, it's not because Bluetooth okay. doesn't work underwater. Okay. Bluetooth. So you do your four laps or whatever. You don't wear this for every single lap of every training session. You wear it for your technique training. And yeah. so you literally, you finish your lap, you hold your hands yeah, up yeah, yeah. and it'll transmit. And so as I was saying, there are, but there are three steps. The first one is being able to accurately capture the data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The second step is to analyze it. Yeah, yeah. And we've been fortunate enough to work with some brilliant people, including a guy called Brant Best. Brant was James Magnuson's coach to multiple yeah. world championships yep. and Olympic medals yep. who have been able to help us interpret that data. Yep. And then the third step is to then present it I in a way that is intuitive. That's you, you, it, it, all that is great unless there's a so what factor. So, to be able to present it so that the, the user can look at it and go, Oh, okay, I can see this and I can see that. So, we worked with DataViz guys, brilliant, clever DataViz guys, to make it as intuitive as possible. Is it for the coach? It's for both. Does it tell Absolutely. him straight away? Absolutely, yeah, instantly. Okay. And our next version, like we're just now doing this one. But our next version won't be Bluetooth. It'll be radio frequency. Right, okay. Which works underwater. Yeah. Which means it can be used real time. Right. So a coach. Whilst, whilst you're stroking. Whilst you're swimming. Yeah. Not only that, we've also invested in and partnered with a company in California that has a bone conduction headset for swimmers that can do two things. One, you can listen to podcasts, listen yeah. to your podcast, which yeah. was brilliant whilst you're swimming and up and down doing the laps. I but sec secondly, it's got a transmitter on it so the coach can speak to the athlete. Right. So you can imagine an That's athlete cool. wearing this up and down, mm. coach saying to him or her, do X, Y, Z, instantly seeing on, your, on, the, on the tablet or the laptop, that's the effect. Oh, that worked really well. Let's explore and do more. Or that was shit. Don't do that again. Hey, Mark, Let's do this. Just push your right hand a little bit further. Precisely. Some of that. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. No, that, 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 that's cool. Like I was reading an article in The Economist uh, about uh, oh, maybe two months ago, and it was talking about the um, – how our lives are going to be controlled by sensors, sensor technology, like pretty much all over our body. So at some stage, I presume your technology will also be able to do a read on my chemistry too. Potentially, and it might be a different device that sits somewhere else that, because we, we, are, we are looking at blood lactate levels through, I've got to get this right, 
um, spectros, spectroscopy. Spectroscopy. Thank yeah, you. That's it. All right. So we're yeah. looking. We're looking at other devices again that are coming from different. It might be from the space tech. Might be from medical channel. Yeah. How do we take certain technologies and apply it to sport? So if you take this thing, yeah, we haven't invented the technology in this. We've taken the technology and we've applied it using Kenneth's massive fucking brain yeah, yeah. to say, what is it I want to know? Because this stuff we're talking about has been done for years in rowing. The difference is you can put a two kilo box in a rowboat yeah. to, 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 to capture that data. You can't do it on a side. Yeah. This is why I say to you, there's this wonderful collision of not just knowing what moves the needle and what the research says, but also emerging tech. And when you get the miniaturization to a certain point, then you can do, you do this sort of stuff. There's a whole lot of complex reasons why I love these things and, and why I know a bit about them. But I just, I just want to raise this with you. Um, the three engineering once upon a time was such a boring thing. No one ever wanted to become an engineer. Today, engineering, when I look at this, the engineering disciplines that you've used, apart from the software engineering, which is over the side, it would just park there for a second. But so you've got mechanical engineering to make sure the mechanics work. Yep. So, you know, your pressure sensors and all that sort of stuff. Then you've got industrial engineer who's gone and designed it exactly. to make it look nice and yep. feels nice and smooth and it's good color and fits and it's sort of a uh, bit simple. But also, and doesn't interfere with the fingers. Doesn't for important for a swimmer. Functionally works absolutely. So you got your mechanical engineer who designs the mechanics of it. Yep. To make sure it actually picks things up, uh, you've got your industrial engineer who makes sure it fits and all those other things you just said functionally works. Doesn't interfere with the fingers and it's not too heavy and blah blah. Like you said about the box. Yep. Um, and then you've got your electrical engineer who then designs all the computerized stuff and makes sure that. Um, you know, the, uh, the information coming out of the microprocessor here, which, you know, there's no doubt being um, manufactured somewhere like Taiwan or something. And uh, then you have to have someone who can put the whole thing together and manufacture it. So then you have to build. In Shanghai, I yes, might so, add, just after you, a 12-week shut lockdown. But I presume that your, um, your chip work is getting done in Taiwan. Yes. Yeah, so uh, what a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, like, that's one of the reasons why there's so much tension between China and Taiwan. And one of the reasons we've got a big problem in the world at the moment for cars and stuff is because all the chips get made out of Taiwan. And uh, China would love to own that. Um, you know, I'm not having a crack at China, but anyone would love to own that. But Taiwan just and Korea, but are world leaders when it comes to chip well, the technology. Chips, the chips actually, they're, they're Bosch, German chips, but firmware and the algorithms. That sits the, around it. Th that's all done by a company in Taiwan. And then largely what happens is people don't allow – they usually get the manufacture done in China somewhere, but they don't allow the they don't allow the two to talk because you don't want it to be reverse engineered. Yep, that's always a problem. And uh, so you've got all these different types of engineers, and then you've got a software engineer. It's very complicated. Builds the software, and let me tell you the the beauty about the software. So this is a big deal, mate. I got I got smacked in the ass by a rainbow because the guy who built the software and wrote the algorithms, because you can imagine going to a propeller head and saying, "Hey, buddy." I want to do this. And he says, I got no fucking idea about swimming. The guy who does this has a PhD in physics, brilliant, smart guy. He's also a former Canadian national elite level swimmer. So he understands, he never, he never swam at the Olympics, but he trialed for the Olympics. So he had this deep inherent knowledge about technique, about all those requirements as a swimmer and what you're looking for in the data and how to then interpret the data because what this thing has done, 
the most remarkable thing about this isn't what we know now, it's what we don't know. Yeah. And when talking with the Biomex at Swimming Australia and talking with Kenneth and talking with Brant Best, everybody's sitting there saying, wow, we're seeing shit here that we had no idea because we've never been able to do this. The only thing, so Swimming Australia has got this device called a Rex and it's named after Rex Hunt because it's a fishing line that attaches to the back of a swimmer. He dives or he or she dives into the pool and it's got some sort of transducer on the end that's measuring something as the swimmer's going forward yep. in the pool. Yep. Now you can imagine how fundamentally basic that is compared to a device like this that's never been done what we're doing here. I'm going to go back. It's spewing out that If data. you don't mind me indulging for a second. Go if you like. That Rex, Rex device. The device is primitive relative to this. But, Correct. you know, we have evolution in devices. I can go back 50 years ago when it comes to swimming and my brother was, a, was an elite swimmer. And my brother was in a squad with a guy called Don Talbot, very yeah. famous coach. And my brother was, as was one of my sons, a national champion and like, you know, would have gone to Olympics but for a number of things he decided to go to university instead, which is probably the end of the day a better idea. Um, and, uh, but my dad, just a, an old dude um, who was working in a factory, used to take my brother swimming training every day in the morning, like 4.30 in the morning, summer and winter for however many years. Your father deserves a medal. Yeah, totally. Well, I did the same with my son. And um, anyway, but I don't deserve a medal. But um, my dad one day, I'll never forget this, said to Don Talbot, who had a number of elite swimmers at the time, in the Olympians in the squad, said to Don, look, I reckon we could improve the strength of a swimmer or the power of a swimmer in the water by putting a resistance on the swimmer. And Don Talbot, I remember the conversation because I'm much older than my brother and I was in the same squad but I wasn't as good as my brother. And Don said, oh, what do you think about it? And dad, my dad said, oh, I'll go and make a prototype. I'm looking at my dad, what the fuck, you know, like uh, you're an engineer. I didn't even know what an engineer was but I thought, hey, you're going to do this. Anyway, dad went and built this thing and they called it a resistor. It was made of aluminium, anodized aluminium and you strapped it to your body and it was flat on your stomach. And, um, and there was different blades. You could attach a different blade. And the blade, the objective of each different blade was to, to create different strength or resistance profiles. Progressively. Depending biking. on how big you were. You might have been a really big, strong guy. Yep. So you need to have a bigger blade if you're a big little kid, whatever. And my dad invented this thing called the resistor. And uh, Don Talbot used it across his whole platform. I mean, it so, never- no, but Look, that's a 50 years ago. That's the incorporation. Ago. The incorporation of technology- to improve performance. But just an idea. But it's exactly Never what we're Never made money doing. out of it, to be honest with you. But, no, but uh, it's exactly what we're doing. It's about But that's, that's this. I mean, yeah. I sort of see this as the technological evolution. Of that. Of that. And it is. And it's amazing you're sitting here. Because as soon as you said to me about swimmers and blah, 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 I, I immediately thought of what Dad did 50, more than 50 years ago. I would have been 15, so my brother would have been about nine. Yeah, that's about right. So- And, and my brother was then using these things for years and years and years, like until they- but it didn't make any dough out of it because, well, he didn't know how to make money out of it, to be honest with you. Like he just thought it was a good idea and he kept evolving it, evolving it. But so it's amazing I'm sitting here with you, Jamie, now um, looking at a very elegant, beautifully designed evolution of what my dad was thinking about. <laughs> we wouldn't think about the technology, but what he's thinking about more than 50 years ago or 45 years ago. And uh, it, it's sort of glaringly obvious to me what role technology now pay, plays in sporting enhancement of a sports person? You can imagine. So Kyle Chalmers, you know, yep. 
Olympic gold medalist, Australian champion, world champion, world record holder. He lost the gold medal in Tokyo by six hundredths of a second. He's now our face of swimming. And he's, he's your ambassador. He's a, not just our ambassador, he's also investor in the company. Right. Because what this could have done for him, six hundredths of a second. Yeah, totally. The information you get, the refinement, the the tweaking, when we talk about professional sport being a game of millimetres or microseconds or whatever you like. 100%. This is revolutionary shit. Yeah. This gives me the edge. And so many people think, oh, yeah, but fuck, sm- swimming's so small. I wouldn't have developed this for the Australian market. You go to the US market, it's massive. There's 300,000 people over the age of 12 in the United States swim competitively. They race. And that's apart from triathletes, right? These are people that spend on average 2,000 US dollars a year on racing suits just to race and compete. So the market for this is massive. The, the concept of it is brilliant. The execution is, and I'm biased as fuck, I know, the execution is beautiful. It's, no, it is beautiful. It, it, it's light. It feels good. It weighs less, good. Than, it weighs less than, a, than a slice of bread. And we've, we've done the test. So it's, it's unobtrusive. And all the elite people that I speak to, and I, I had a pitch to a guy called Vincent Louis, who's a French triathlete, two times world champion and reputedly the world's leading swimmer triathlete. And Vince said, I've never seen anything like this. And he told his manager, I don't care what you do deal-wise, I want to be in bed with these guys. I want to be the face of triathlon for this, face of this device for triathlon. So when the elite, and, and my philosophy is, if we can get that sort of deep engagement at the elite level, and no disrespect for what you were doing with the State of Origin guys, where you're paying for that relationship, our relationship is built on they need us, they want totally. us, they want to be engaged. And in some cases, like I said, they're, they're paying for the privilege. That then creates an unbelievable commercial halo over the brand, which then can be legitimately um, capitalised on for the prosumer. Would it be fair to say then that the demand that you're trying to tap into is not just the elite swimmers, but the general feeling as we, as the world um, emerges out of COVID and as the world goes back to becoming normalised, everybody's, sorry, a large market or cohort of people globally when it comes to this particular product, the swim product, who want to get the edge. They just want to be better. And it doesn't matter whether my age, I could be a, 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 a uh, triathlete yep. who wants to beat everyone in the Masters over the age of 65. Absolutely. That could be me. Absolutely. Because I'm the guy who's always looking for but the edge. But you only look 35, though. Thank you. I'm always looking for the edge, though. There are a lot of people around. Yeah. And, by the way, they're not price-sensitive either or no, as, no. Pri- uh, as price-sensitive. Yeah. And then when it comes to those who are price-sensitive – they're generally speaking will be the ones who are competitors who are probably going to get paid to, paid for by the club or by the institute and in, in Swiss or the institute they're working they're, they're under because they're a lead in the first place they're probably going to get a lot of this stuff or sponsors will buy it for them or they get sponsorship money they so they can still afford it. Yep. I'm dying to know what's in the other. Yeah, package. well, let me tell you this is this is absolute magic. Um, so is most this, people know what an ECG is, an electrocardiogram. Yep. 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 This is an electroencephalogram. This is an EEG. Yep. This reads brainwaves. Brainwaves. Yeah. And the science uh, shows and the research shows that a concussed brain. You the new Neuralink? Neuro, no, 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 no. 
wouldn't mind it. The research shows that people who are concussed respond differently to a visually evoked potential to somebody who's non-concussed. Yep, I know. I've, I've actually had the test, a visual test on a, uh, not using one of these, but something similar. And because just testing my concussions. Have you had many? Yeah, I've had many. Right. And uh, so these things are incredibly important, particularly yep. pre-season, beginning of season, end of season, halfway during the season, not just after you've been concussed. Measurement. Well, it's, it, it, the, the, the principle is twofold. It works on a baseline and the existing system today is subjective. We they, don't have enough baselines, do we? No, and, but even so, primarily with the existing SCAT system, they are able to be gamed by the athletes. They cheat them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they dumb them down when they do the baseline so that they reduce the delta. Yeah, when the they cha- do the get delta a, being the change. When, yeah. when, they get a, when they get a hit. This little baby, which has been approved in the United States by the FDA, as an EEG, this little baby, you can't bite, you you can't fool, you can't game it because it flashes lights in your eyes. Yeah, yeah. That's how, how my one worked. It was right. about the thing that they, it came from the States, but that they they actually, because I was a boxer and they picked me because I was a long-term fighter and I had lots of fights and lots of concussions, unfortunately. And uh, they they did the read on me and they have sent the, and it was about flashing lights into your eyes yep. and how your your iris or whatever it is, something at the back of your eye responds because that's, well, what, that's an extension of your brain or something. That yeah, I, 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 I don't know. All I, all I can tell you is on the back of the device are five sensors yeah. that pick up at the base of your visual cortex. Right. And they're able to read how you respond. Let's fucking love this shit. I mean uh, – Oh no! This is this is this is magic. And did you did you you guys develop the? No, uh, no. This pro- is the only product that we haven't developed, and we don't own outright. We license this yep. the technology. This has been developed here in Sydney by a brilliant guy who's a doctor, who and and this has been um, validated as sensitive and as accurate as a hospital grade EEG. So is, it, is this sort of uh, like out of the brain and mind center or one of those sorts of places uh, out of Camperdown? Um, no, RBA? no, Adrian, Adrian Cohen, Dr. Adrian Cohen, he's he's done this himself. Right, okay. Over many years yeah, yeah. working in particularly in rugby. It's, it's and it is it's it's largely directed at concussion. Uh, it's it's primarily about concussion, but it's not just about diagnosing it, it's also about return to play. And if you've yeah, got yeah. access to this device and you, if you're ruled out with a concussion, you can monitor your brain health recovery with this device. You can have it every day if you like. Yeah. yeah. Takes less than two minutes. Yeah, yeah. Gets done. You can do it on the side of the pitch. Yep. So, you know, in state of origin, they can come off, go into the rooms, put this on. It's not the be all and end all. No, but it's another it's monitor. It's part of the clinician's Yeah, no, t- tool. no totally. It's, yeah. It's, it's part of a number of things that you put into a, like if they have an algorithm, but like they put into something that, so they do, they do all the normal tests. They can do this as a third test. And it's become such a big issue, concussion. Oh. I mean, I'm on the board of roosters. Like, it's such a big deal for us as a board, as well, directors. You guys, you guys, from what I've seen, are the best in rugby league about how you're dealing with it. We're, we're the most careful. Yes. But our diagnostic tools probably aren't any better than every other clinician has. No, but there's a, there's a significant level of awareness. And, of course, it's in conflict with, I want the players on the pitch and no, I want no. my best team. and. And from what I've seen, there's a lot of work gets done around the roosters about making sure because you're half back at the moment. Yeah, totally, yeah. He's and he's, he's and still he's, not back. And he's claiming he's, he's he's complaining about ongoing headaches. Yeah, yeah. I mean, shit. Boyd Corden is a good example. Jake Freeman. Exactly. We retired him. Yep, yep, yep. And, and they so, didn't want it. They, they would have played on if we had said go play on. So I saw something last week with Paul Kent talking about a function he'd recently been to, and Bob McCarthy from South, the original South guy, was there. 
And he was talking about the amount of his former colleagues who are now in nappies and in nursing homes who are just in awful states as a result of, and they're only in their 70s and their early 70s. I know guys in the 60s. Well, hang on. What about there's a there's a guy, an all black who was diagnosed two weeks ago at forty three with dementia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is an awful, awful situation, and we don't know whether dementia is caused by the concussion. No, but, but it doesn't matter. We do see, but the the risk is enormous. Yeah, yeah. And the problem is, you know, with CTE is the yeah. only way you can diagnose and it when you're dead is biopsy. You got to cut your brain up. You got to be dead. So what you do is you say, look, the consequences here are so serious. We need to do absolutely everything, everything. we can. We can. I think there's. A, I actually think, and I was only saying this the other day. To some people that I think there is a, it's not enough. It's not enough to just rely on what, say, the NRL says the protocol should be. I think we have an obligation to be always continually looking at anything we can add in addition to the protocols. Because at the at the end of the day, the apart from the fact you're going to get sued, I I I don't know how I'd live myself if I someone said to me, "Look, Mark, why didn't you?" That thing that Jamie Fuller showed you the other day, why don't you suggest that to the coaching staff at the Roosters in order to get maybe it may have just saved someone's problem for the future. I, I don't know if I could live with myself um, thinking that I didn't do everything I could so th- do. And, and look, you're dead right from a moral perspective. You're absolutely dead right. Let's talk about the other side. If you, Let's just be hard-headed commercial nuts, right? There's two key things. One, whether you like it or not, you're going to get your ass sued at some stage. Yep. Okay. So the sooner you do something really genuinely about this to mitigate it, the best chance you've got of of coping with that. And there are some significant question marks right now around the AFL and sort of things that have been going on within the AFL to that is frankly going to potentially bite them in the ass down the track. Secondly, if you look to the UK and participation levels, Without embracing this sort of stuff and without acknowledging we have a problem and this is what we're doing. You lose your content. You lose it. The participation at grassroots is is collapsing. Totally. So just take the moral side out of it. And if you're dealing with hard nuts, then fine. You have to do this stuff because of this, this. It is a business and you've got to look at it as a business as well. Absolutely. Um, Where to from here? You're still at Fishburne. So you're sort of still in that sort of like call it beyond startup, but not quite at full go yet. Well, I, I neglected to mention we're fortunate to have uh, our doctor. There's a guy called Paul Bloomfield. Until last year, Paul was chief medical officer for the NRL for seven years. So he not only wrote the concussion protocols for elite rugby league, but also grassroots. So we've got Paul on board. My CEO is a guy called Dean Hawkins. Dean started his life at UBS in Zurich. Uh, and uh, in the early 90s, he ran the listing for Adidas globally. Did such a great job that the the owner of Adidas then poached him to become CFO and global head of strategy for Addy. He then came back after six years and joined the board of Channel 10 here. Uh, he then buggered off back to England where he's been running a fintech uh, for six years in London. And I'm fortunate that I've been able to bring him here to be our CEO. So when you look at our team, we're a bunch of old heads. Technically, we're a startup, but, you know, I'm 57. And you've got plenty of experience. Dean, 60, oh, 62, one. Kenneth is 62, Hodgie 60. Yeah, we're, a, we're a bunch of older guys. But you're doing something new though. Surrounded with a pack of kids. Yeah, but there's nothing better than that. No. Uh, Jamie, I reckon this stuff's great. I mean, what you've shown me so far is fantastic. I'm, I'm extraordinarily impressed by I mean, I'm fascinated by your um, um, swimming pressure um, sensors with and everything else that goes with it. I probably didn't do a 
a good a justice in talking about that. But That's I'm, a brilliant description. And I'm, I'm actually fascinated with your um, EEG reader. Um, I mean, one of the big things these days is read, is um, is uh, overlaying EEG readings with uh, MRI readings, yeah. um, and uh, they're two different type areas. And, and there uh, are some docs who who have who have believed in MRIs for quite a few years, but obviously with a device like this where we can do it pitch side yep. is different to, I, I, totally take this, it to a hospital. You can't get an MRI on the field. No. Although someone will have an MRI machine eventually. sooner or later, similar G or that'll come eventually. up. The Siemens or something, they'll have one where they just quickly scan you while you're sitting on the sideline. Yep. But uh, th- this is brilliant stuff. Where to from here? Where are you guys going to from here? So um, we're right now going through capital raise. So we're, we're doing that. How We've, much are you trying to raise? Uh, Mark, it's sort of probably five to seven. Tough environment now, though. Oh, fuck, man. Liquidity got me. Oh, like just, the, the inflation, interest rates, it kills you on liquidity. And, and fear and everybody becomes risk averse. Yeah. I mean, that's just what happens. I th- look, I, I feel very strongly, though, that we've got something that's quite unique in yep. this space. You know, um, and it's not, we're not just creating apps and software. There's a tangible element to it. Well, there's got, and there's a real need. Yep. There's an absolute need there's for it. There's a demand stuff. for it. There's a, you've got a product that taps into it. It looks like technologically is well done. And beautifully, it looks beautiful too, by the way. Both these um, items look beautiful. You've got a good team by the sound of things. So if there's an appetite to put money into these things, you'll raise it though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That'll be the issue. Exactly. Is there a, a liquidity appetite for this? No, I can tell you um, I can tell you what it's going to boil down to. It's valuation. Yeah, right? it always does. It's a different- What percentage can I get basically yeah. is what they're going to say. It's, a, it's, going to be a, it's going to be a different story. I, I raised a small amount at the end of last year. So I funded this personally for um, two and a half years. And then at the end of last year, I did a small convertible note raise. Uh, and so the environment back in November, October, November last year is very different. To totally. July this well, year. Well, notes are probably still attractive um, today yep. um, because it gives everyone options. It's the devil that, is in the yeah, detail. <laughs> and the, but it's going to be, uh, you know, what the investors are going to say, what can I crunch it down to? Um, that'd be good. But well, you I'm, might have to take less too. And I'm, uh, yeah, and I'm fortunate I've got an investment bank, Canaccord Genuity, on board. Um, they got involved last year. And so they, they're doing the race. They well, they did the they they chipped into the race last year. Yeah, um, and we're in discussions with them now about where we go. But yeah, there are those challenges. But when you look at the importance of this sort of stuff, and you look at the potential, um, and there's still Mark, there's still a fuck of a lot of money floating around. I oh, mean, totally. No, 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 hundred percent. They just want better. They better, just terms. better terms for it. Yep. That's all. Yep. Because uh, you're now competing with, you know, I might be able to get three or four percent in the bank uh, as yep. opposed to. Be, Two months, three months. I was getting point one of a percent. Yeah. So uh, I've just got to have a bigger jar of Vaseline. Yeah. yeah well, be, get ready for it. Yeah. You find a good strong table. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, 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 in the interest of time, I'm going to have to wrap. I, hang on, I've got a question to ask you. Yeah. Okay. When I came in, you didn't say hello. You didn't greet me. Was that intentional? Yep. Yeah. I I used to do podcasts in my previous life, and the first one I did was Lance Armstrong, and he said to me. He said, I'll give you one tip. He said, do not speak to whoever the, you're going to do. The guests never. Yeah. Don't speak do. to them. I deal with the one I got. Yep. And when I come in, when I set it up. Yep. And I, even Dimitri tried to bring the fucking guest in before, before I was ready. Go and put him out there. Yeah, yeah. And just, just yeah, no, I just maintain that position. Yeah, yeah. No, it's and it's good because he- I learned that from television though. When I did The Celebrity Apprentice, right. I was never allowed to speak. Sorry, when you were a- Australia's Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. that's something I don't like to make a, um, a comparison to or a contrast to. But, but I was always told that you were not to speak to any of the people who 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 are on the panel yeah. at all ever. Yeah. Outside of when you're talking to them on the panel. Yeah. 
even when it got to a point where I had my room, they had their rooms. And then when we broke up and we had a break, I got ushered out this way and they got ushered out that way. And it's just a good protocol to keep. Well, Lance said, Lance said to me, he said, the problem is, he said, if we have a conversation beforehand and something comes up. I want it fresh. Exactly. Then when we try and do it, it's going to look staged. I, I it, want won't, a, it won't no, be I want authentic. A new. Yeah. I, will not, I am here to learn about what you've got to tell me. Yeah. This has been a fascinating conversation. Um, EOs, um, it's not just uh, software technology, but it is physical technology. It's actual, you know, like the industrially designed, mechanically designed, engineered products as well as the other side of the technology that sits around it. And then, of course, all the data that sits around all that, you know, all the outcomes, the outputs. We didn't even talk data. No, but it is about data at yeah. the end of the day too. I mean, you're, yeah. you're going to be the repository of a lot of sports data. Well, as Tony Abbott would call it, the suppository of all Suppository. Sports. The suppository. Well, of well you data. might have to get a few suppositories yeah. ready during the race. That's the only thing you want to be able to look. But it is brilliant. It's, it's fantastic. It's about time, by the way, in relation to some of these things. I mean, I have close to my heart is this concussion stuff. Um, it's really important to me. Um, and I know a lot of fighters who wish they had have done these things a long time ago um, because they would be in different shape today. And a lot of rugby league blokes who I know, who I went to school with actually, who uh, are now in the 60s who can't even function, I won't name them, but they're, they're well known within our community and uh, it's a terrible shame what's happened to them. It really is a terrible shame. Whether or not it's concussion that caused it or not, it doesn't, I don't know, but no one knows. That's yep. the big debate. But it doesn't matter. Would have been nice to be monitoring shit from day one. And I really love the fact, Jamie, that you're allowing people to establish baselines, even if they might gain. But the, the, the game is today in relation to everything in relation to our health. What is your baseline, Mark? What was your baseline at 50? What was your baseline at 60? No, what was your no, baseline at year? No, no, hang on. Take, take, the, take the NeuroCheck device. This is going to go into schools. You're going to be able to monitor. You're going to be able to, at 15 years old, and if you then have a career in elite sport or just non-elite sport, you'll have that data and that repository of data and it'll follow you all your life and you'll be able to monitor your brain health as you progress through life. And it's funny, we That's don't talk enough about brain health. No. We always talk about our heart health, our yep. you know, our kidney health, and, you know, drinks and this, that, and the other, hydration, et cetera. But rarely do we ever talk about our brain health. and um, and uh, and. I mean, I was only talking about this to someone the other day in relation to myself. You can always re- you can replace a heart. You can replace most of these things, but you can't fix your fucking brain. No, no, no. You can't put another one in there. Not yet. And uh, <laughs> so you've got to. Make, we've got, we do not pay enough attention to our brain health. I, I, that's and I mean, I know the other product that you got there, the the swimming product. That's about you know getting the edge and you know getting a six six hundredths of a second or whatever it might be by, by virtue of correction. This brain health stuff to me is moving forward is a very important aspect of how we need to live our lives. Yeah, it's great. And, and uh, I, I think it's wonderful. Good on you. And thanks for coming in, by the way. And thanks for bringing the shit in. It's, no, thanks, it, Mark. It's, it's been really, a pleasure. really interesting. Thanks, Jamie. Much appreciated. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast. <laughs>